0: Well, good evening. evening. We're going to dive right in here as quickly as possible here, because I've got a lot to cover, and uh, I like to babble on sometimes, so I'm going to try not to do that and stay on point, okay? Um, I'd like you to uh, go ahead and just turn your page, if you will, right over to Ephesians 2. That's where we're going to be. When Caleb told me he was doing Ephesians 1, I was like, what? Well, isn't that interesting? That's just perfect. And move your phone over here. Ephesians 2 is where we're going to be. We're going to focus in and hone in on verses 1 through 5. So I I want to thank you very much for having me, of course. Um, It is a great, great honor uh, to be with you all, Um, to see so many faces. It's a wonderful, wonderful honor um, I want you to know and understand that I am no more worthy to be up here preaching God's word than any other man. Um, I don't deserve it in any way, shape or form. And I think we all know that about ourselves to a point, but it's good to remind ourselves of that, of that every once in a while. That I'm not worthy of anything like Caleb was just saying, other than the wrath of God, I'm not really worthy of anything. So... Anyways, I, I would just want to thank you for having me. My hope and my prayer as we work through this together and as we look into the Word of God and unpack this passage, my hope is that you would be encouraged, that you'd be convicted. That is the goal of preaching. Uh, we don't always like that part, right? We don't like the conviction, but it's necessary. It's necessary to reveal what's in our heart. Like Caleb was just saying, sometimes that's why we don't want to read into the Bible. We don't want to dig in because we're afraid we're going to find out something that we need to change about ourselves. Or really, in reality, we can't change ourselves. Only God can change the hearts of man. Amen. So that's my hope for you as we move through this passage. A little bit of an introduction. So what, what am I going to be talking about here in this session That is the miracle of regeneration, the miracle of regeneration. And that is the miracle of God essentially recreating you from the inside out, giving you a new heart with new desires that wants to please him and seek after him. It is the new birth, as you may have heard it called. John chapter three, Nicodemus, Jesus said, you must be born again. This is regeneration. This is a new heart. So in, in, a, in the modern American church as a whole, many have generally forgotten this doctrine, right? Or, are there, or they're completely ignorant of the biblical facts surrounding conversion and regeneration, right? You may be familiar with that or you may see it around you. So if we believe, for instance, that conversion is simply an act of the will... Right? An act of the will of man. Simply something that a man does. Right? And nothing more than that. Then we can fall into the error that a person can be a genuine Christian. Right? But then live the rest of their life in carnality and sin. Just like Caleb was just talking about. The the young lady that said, I can do whatever I want now. That's a false conversion. But... If we understand that conversion does include the, the a decision of the will, sure, in a way, but also primarily, we need to understand that conversion is a supernatural work of God. It's supernatural. It is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, whereby God changes a man and he makes him into a new creation. Makes him a new creation. So when we understand that doctrine. Then we can see that all those who truly believe. They will go on, scripture says. And they will bear fruit. I like the way Paul Washer put it. He said, if you once repented unto salvation. Then you will continue repenting unto salvation. With fear and trembling. Amen. But because of much of the preaching in. The good old US of A, the prosperity gospel and word of faith nonsense that you see all over the place. They're preaching a different gospel. Salvation has come to mean nothing more than come to Christ so you can get stuff. Come to Christ so that He can fix this, fix that, fix your finances, fix your marriage, fix whatever. It's man centered. It's man centered. It comes to be nothing more than you made a decision. And in these mass evangelistic campaigns that you see sometimes, being born again, it just loses its value. It comes to mean nothing more than, oh, I made a decision. And that's it. But the Bible describes conversion to be something infinitely more powerful, it is an act of God. The Bible describes it as a new birth, a new creation. So it's been said that the regeneration of the human heart is perhaps the greatest miracle or perhaps a greater demonstration or display of the power of God than the creation of the universe itself. Well, how can you say that? That doesn't make sense. I'm not a star. I'm not a planet, right? But what we need to recognize here is, is think back to Genesis, right? God created the world, ex nihilo. That's a Greek word that means out of nothing, right? Out of nothing. But when God saves a man and he transforms a man or a woman, he transforms a mass of radical depravity and sin, a wad of, of vicious, messed up, deceitful, sinful clay And he turns it into a child of God. Perhaps that's greater than even the creation of the universe. He's making something that is dead. And he's making it alive. Amen? I love the illustration that uh, Charles Spurgeon gives uh, of a pig. And uh, perhaps this may have been for a different time. But I understand some of you probably work on a farm. And you can... Understand and relate to what I'm talking about. He draws this picture of a large pig that's in the back of the sanctuary here, right? And it's sitting back there, and somebody's holding it back with a rope. Envision this, if you will. And on this side of the pulpit, we've got a huge trash can, right? That's full of trash and rotting food and nonsense and just old slop that pigs love to eat. Why? Because they're pigs, right? And then over here, Envision, if you will, we've got a nice gourmet plate of wonderful gourmet human food from, I don't know, Chili's or Rib Crib or something, okay? <laughs> and you let that pig go, right? Let him go. Where's he going to go? He's going to go right to that pile of trash, There's a lot of it in that trash can. And he's going to stick his head deep down into that trash can. He's going to consume that trash. And he's going to love eating that trash. And there's nothing I can do as a man to convince that pig to stop loving that trash. Right? But if I have the supernatural power to turn that pig into a man, now we've got a different situation. He's going to pull his head out of that trash can. He's going to turn around and see that you all were just watching him do that. You're witnesses of his nastiness and his depravity. He is then going to vomit up all of the trash that's in his system because he doesn't have the digestive system to handle that anymore. He's going to desire that good food. what i just described was your conversion that is the conversion of every man, woman and child that god changes and he gives them a new heart so i want you to just kind of keep that illustration in mind as we work through this passage so if you if you'd stand with me that's kind of my my tradition i'm sorry if it's not yours but if we could just stand in the honor of reading god's word ephesians 2 verses one through five, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. As far as the reading of God's word, let's pray. gracious father we thank you for for your word it is life giving to us it is bread manna from heaven Lord I pray that you would use me as an instrument to preach your word that people would not see me but they would see past me Lord that uh, in spite of me you would reach out and change and edify and encourage and convict hearts Lord please use me and overshadow me with your cross Father, open eyes and ears. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. So a little textual history and context is always helpful, I think, right? Uh, why is Paul writing this letter, right? How did he know the Ephesians? Well, Caleb already covered some of that, so I won't belabor the, paint, the point too long. But he planted the church himself, right? So he, know the, he knows these people pretty well. He uh, could be considered their spiritual father, you might say, and furthermore, you might remember that Timothy, uh, Paul's spiritual son, as you might call him, would inherit one of the churches in Ephesus. He would become the pastor at one of the churches there in Ephesus, and this letter to the Ephesians, we see a little bit of a different attitude when you compare it to the letter to the Corinthians, for instance, that's a little bit more... Corrective and chastising because there was a lot of nonsense going on at the Corinthian church, right? But in Eph- Ephesians, it's, it's a little different method that he follows, right? Uh, first off, these people have experienced unbelievable persecution and suffering. What do I mean by that? Well, in Ephesus, if you don't know, it is a cesspool and a breeding ground for false religion, It's full of pagan practices, occultic practices, all kinds of satanic nonsense going on that is opposed to the church of Christ, right? So these people understand persecution. They're in the midst of false doctrine and horrific false idolatry all the time. So they understand persecution. So this letter and this passage especially helps to serve to remind them of who they are and where they came from. And most importantly, what Christ has done for them, what he's done for us. So then my question for you is, have you forgotten who you are and what God has done for you? Like Caleb was just covering what he did for you before the foundations of the world, right? Have you perhaps never understood what actually happened at your point of conversion. What, what actually happened in your life? What did God do? What did he perform? So my encouragement to you and my hope. Is that this miracle of regeneration. The new birth. Would never be forgotten. Ever. In regeneration. Like I said before. God has essentially recreated you. So as with many things in life. During the turmoil of any Christian life. We're in the danger of forgetting some things. Right? We grow forgetful. We forget how awesome God is and what He's done. Regeneration is an incredible miracle of God alone. Well, first off, what is regeneration? You keep using that word, Zach. How about you define it for us? Okay, I will let John MacArthur do that. He says Regeneration is an act of God, it is simply a term that describes the necessity that a person receive a new birth, a new life, a new nature a new disposition, a new character, a new mind from God. And, and this is important, that the person makes no contribution to it. None. That's awesome, right? Amen? It doesn't rest on you. You don't have to earn it. You don't merit it somehow. It's from God. So keep that definition in your mind as, As we kind of move forward in the text. So what things have you forgotten? Zach you're you're telling me I've forgotten. What things have you forgotten? Well Paul shows us in great detail. Let's go to the text. Verse 1. And this is my point number 1 as well. If you're taking notes. Number 1 is have you forgotten who you were? Have you forgotten who you were? Verse 1. Paul says you were dead. In the trespasses and sins. In which you once walked. You were dead. That's a strong statement. Well, what does this mean? You were dead. Well, dead how? Well, not physically dead, obviously, right? We understand that. I can see you sitting in front of me. You're breathing. You know, I assume I'm not imagining all of this. You are in front of me. You're not physically dead. No, this is spiritual death, right? From birth, ever since the fall, the fall of Adam, the fall of mankind. We are all born with the stain of original sin, right? David makes this clear in the Psalms, right? You may be familiar with this passage in Psalm 51. He says, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. David knows who we are, right? He had an accurate understanding of the human condition, right? Paul says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Well, this Greek word for trespass, What does that mean? It can mean a deviation from what is true, right? It can mean uh, to walk crooked. It can mean to step out of line. You see where I'm going with this, right? But then he says, in which you once walked, which you once walked, past tense. That's interesting. He says, you, we all, we could say, walked in sin, Furthermore, you followed the course of the world. This is a living in sin. This is not simply a, a tiptoeing in and out of sin. You see, it's not a tiptoeing but a little bit of sin over here and a little bit of righteousness and we tiptoe back and forth. No, the Greek word here that he uses for walk, for walking, could almost be substituted for living. You were living in sin. This is a constant, perpetual unrepentant, ongoing state of sin. And we all were there. We all once lived there, past tense, right? He goes on, he says, you were following the course of this world. What does that mean? Well, you were involved. You actively participated in this pagan, godless world system, right? Everybody has a past here, right? Yeah. Amen. Furthermore, though, he goes into more detail. He moves on. Still verse two, following the prince of the power of the air, who is now at work. Now that's present tense. Now at work. Well, we all know who this is, right? This is Satan. Himself, he's the father of lies, he's the deceiver, he's the accuser, he's the adversary. But not only did we follow the world, but we followed the father of lies. We lived in active suppression of the truth, right? Romans 1. Jesus echoed this truth as well, didn't he? Often to the Pharisees, and we like to, we like to give the Pharisees a hard time, but that's us too. Before Christ changed us. We may not have been as religious as they were, but we're the same. Jesus echoed this truth. He spoke to those who were blind in their unbelief Jews and the Pharisees, those who thought they were saved by their bloodline. Abraham is our father, right? They were saved by their heritage, they were saved by their self righteousness. And Jesus said, No, you are of your father, who? The devil. The devil. Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 8, he says, why do you not hear or understand what I say? And it's a rhetorical question, obviously. He answers it himself. Why? It is because you are not of God. Why can't you hear me? Because you're not of God. You're not my child. You're of your father, the devil. Following the prince of the power of the air. Right? Right? But again, don't forget, this is who you were. This is who we all were. This is who you followed. Furthermore, have you forgotten who you used to identify with? Right? Who you used to identify with. He goes on and he says, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 2. Well, who are these sons of disobedience? He's now at work in them. Well, this is all of us. This is every single one of us prior to regeneration, prior to the new birth. Paul echoes the same idea in Romans 5 verse 12. Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All sins, all sons of disobedience But where would you be apart from Christ? Where would you be? I wouldn't be here preaching in front of you. What time is it? I would probably be headed to a bar right now. But God. Have you forgotten what you used to do? What do you still do? How do you often still fall, still fail, right? See, when I, hold, when I hold this Bible up, and you stole my illustration, Caleb, as a mirror, right? <laughs> I hold this up. It shows me how I drastically, emphatically fall short, right? How I fail to meet this standard. Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well God. Well, I can't do that. Jesus did it. And he imputes his righteousness to those who call upon him by faith. What about the things you used to enjoy, right? But now they disgust you. Like I said, I'd probably be headed to a bar right now. I used to love going to the bar, hanging out with the friends. Probably having a little bit too much to drink, right? But... I was a professing Christian, I thought I knew God, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, maybe God was letting out the leash for a little bit to chastise me a little bit, discipline me, let me experience a little bit of pain, a little bit of nonsense, before he ripped me back and said, no, you're mine now, you're not doing that anymore, and that's just one example. But those things you used to enjoy. But now they disgust you. What were your desires before God convicted you of sin and gave you a new heart with new desires? New desires, he says, I'll give you. Well, what were these things you used to enjoy? Well, thank you very much, Paul. He goes on to explain. Verse 3. He says, the passions of the flesh. The desires of the body. Oh, and of the mind not just visible sins we're talking about here right it's invisible sins as well right amen we all have those invisible sins see all these things describe what you what all of us what I used to do this is what you used to enjoy but God I love the way Charles Spurgeon puts it one of the greatest Baptist preachers I think there ever was he said look back at what you used to be look at the hole of the pit whence ye were digged you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins amen but how else do we understand this is this is this just kind of a a one-time thing in ephesians no of course not it's all throughout scripture paul argues this for us in first corinthians Chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. You may be familiar with the passage. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, he says. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, but what's the next verse say? the same pattern and such were some of you but you were washed he says and you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god you see the pattern none of these will inherit the kingdom of god but such were some of you See, this passage in Corinthians, I just wanted to demonstrate, is in perfect harmony with what Paul describes here in Ephesians 2. Note again, though, all the past tense phrases in Ephesians 2, right? You were dead. You once walked. We all once lived. You were by nature. All past tense, past tense, past tense. Over and over. Right? Praise God for that. speaking of nature, have you forgotten who you were by nature? Right? Paul goes on to describe that. He says, you were carrying out the desire of of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Well, how do we understand this? Who are we by nature? Well, envision, if you will, like a large white room, sort of a good cop, bad cop type scenario, Right? And over in this corner, you've got a pile of carrots and, I don't know, spinach and kale and wonderful food that I'm sure all of you love to eat, right? <laughs> and then over here, you've got a pile of flesh and rotting meat and blood and corpse type stuff. Well, you'd take a rabbit, right, and you'd drop him in the middle of that room. What's he going to go to? He's going to go to the vegetables, of course. He's going to, he wants those carrots. He's going to eat those greens and whatnot. Well, why? Because of his nature. It's built into him. It's his nature. It's what he is. But what happens if you drop a vulture in that same room? Does he care about the vitamins and the micronutrients and the beta carotene and various healthy things found in the vegetables? No. He wants that flesh. He's going to eat that flesh. And he's going to enjoy himself. And he's going to come back later for more. Why? Because of his nature. You see, you choose what you want to do according to your nature. You pursue the desires of your heart based on your Nature. But then Paul has a massive shift in what he's explaining here. And this is number two. Have you forgotten who God is and what he has done? I love the way Steve Lawson puts it. He's a great pastor that I like to follow. He said, praise God for the butts in scripture. He says, but God, praise God for the buts in scripture. If there's a but, B-U-T, you better pay attention. Something great is about to happen. But God, he begins a massive shift in language, a shift in the subject from one pole to the other, one extreme to the other. But God by himself, without help from you, By himself, apart from us, in spite of us, in spite of me, gave me grace, gave me mercy. Well, what is grace? Grace, well, grace is unmerited favor. Grace is no longer grace if it can be demanded, right? If it can be earned, if it can be merited. This was given unmerited favor, no cooperation from us. He goes on and he says he's rich in mercy. Well, this is God's nature. This is God's nature. Completely independent of us, he is merciful and gracious. This is the complete opposite of our nature. The complete opposite. And he goes on and he says, great love. Because of the great love with which He loved us. Well, great. Why is his love great? Why is that? Well, his love is great because he chose to love us first. That's why his love is great. Therefore, if we examine the language here, we see because of the great love with which he loved us. So we could say that mercy proceeds from or flows out of His love, from his love flows mercy. He's a merciful God. You see, there was no reason for him to love us. None. But he chose to out of his own sovereign good pleasure. Scripture says it was his good pleasure to do so. It's good pleasure to do so. Scripture affirms this over and over again. God was not obligated or coerced or influenced in any way to love anyone. He's the sovereign, triune God, eternal God, perfect in every way. It's not because you, you, were, you attracted God in some way. You were dead. But rather, God chooses to love, chooses a people for himself. He chooses objects of his affection Out of his own good pleasure. Scripture says. Isn't that beautiful? Nothing in me had to instigate it. The same idea is echoed in the Old Testament as well. Don't just think this is unique to the New Testament. God spoke in Deuteronomy 7. Speaking of Israel. He says, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest of nations. I didn't choose you because you were stronger or larger or greater. Better than any other nation's. But it is because the Lord God loves you. And why did the Lord God love you? Because I love you. And I keep my commandments. Or my covenants, excuse me. Isn't that amazing? It's kind of counterintuitive when you think of it. I loved you because I love you. It's his own choosing to do so. To put it simply... He loves those that he loves because he wants to. His love because he is love, right? Scripture tells us his love originates within his own infinite goodness. What peace that should bring us as believers, right? Shouldn't that give us peace, that his love outflows from his goodness, that nothing in us had to beckon it or earn it, right? He just is. I am that I am, he said. Verse five, while we were still dead, even while we were still dead, Paul says this elsewhere, Romans 5, 8, right? Some of you probably memorized that verse since you were a child. In that while we were still sinners, Christ loved us. Christ died for us. While we were dead, far from God, running from God, while we were at enmity with God, Romans 3 says, Christ loved us. But furthermore, he didn't just love us. Paul goes on and he says, he made us alive. Made you alive. This is the miracle of regeneration. This is it. The miracle in which God and only God can take that which was spiritually dead. And make it spiritually alive. Raise it to new life. Only God does this. We see this in the raising of Lazarus. Right? What a beautiful demonstration of the power of God. Do you see what was happening there? With Lazarus. He called Lazarus by name. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus said, uh, Yeah, I'm doing fine in here. Thank you. It's nice and cool. The temperature is just right. It's okay. I've been dead for four days. I, my sisters are doing a lot of bickering. I, I don't, I'm cool. Thank you for asking, though. No. Lazarus could not cooperate while he was dead and rotting Could he? But Jesus said, come forth. And he did. He did not respond until the call of God caused him to respond. Dead men do not respond or cooperate. Paul likewise makes it clear here in Ephesians 2 that you were dead. Dead. This same dead inability is echoed all over the New Testament. Romans 1, Romans 3, John 6, John 10. I'm not going to read all those for you right now. But this dead inability, not able, udunatai is the Greek, unable, unwilling to respond to God, but God raised to spiritual life. This is the effectual call of God. It has power, it has an effect. It's not merely a request, it's not. Like, you stole two of my illustrations tonight. You know, God's not up there just wringing his hands, you know, just hoping, like, oh, I just, I hope somebody listens today. You know, I hope someone comes down to the front and prays that magic prayer. You know? No. When God calls you, you answer. Jesus, his sheep, they hear his voice. And they come. And he gives them eternal life. Yes, I said it's all over the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament as well. Ezekiel 36:26. One of my favorite verses. God speaking. Notice all the eyes in this passage. He says, "And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh." God does it. God does it. God does it. Have you forgotten when God removed your heart of stone? And gave you a heart of flesh. A new heart that desires to please him. To honor him. To glorify him. And to tell others about him. Right? I detest these, this illustration that I was given as a child. Of being out in some ocean drowning somewhere. Right? And good old Jesus comes by on a life Boat, if you will, and he tosses you a lifeline, right? But it's your job to grab it. you got to reach out. You grab that lifeline and you just, hey, you pray that prayer and booyah, you're saved. Boom. Just like that. No. You know who does agree with that analogy wholeheartedly? Mormons. Mormons. We're not saved <coughs> by our works plus a little help from Jesus. Paul said, you are dead. This is a divine diagnosis, right? Dead men do not grab for lifeboats. You are not merely sick. You're not merely drowning. That's a false ideology. I reject that. But God, who is rich in mercy, loved those that are his before the foundations of the world. And he reached down while you were dead, rotting, swollen corpse at the bottom of the ocean. And he raised you up to spiritual life. And he said, you're mine now. And he gave you a new heart of flesh. And you received it by faith and you've never been the same. Amen. Amen. I hope I'm not going long here. My final point here is just have you forgotten what you should do in response? What should be our response? How do I apply this, Zach? Well, first off, believers, you remember with great humility, great awe and gratitude for how God saved you when you deserved nothing, nothing but the sin you were walking in, right? I love the way the great Puritan reformer put it, Jonathan Edwards. He said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. What a high view of God. Titus told us the same thing in chapter 3 in speaking of this radical change in our lives. Titus 3 he says, For we ourselves once were foolish, disobedient, led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sound familiar? But, there's a but again. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, But according to what? His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Glory to God. Right? How else do we apply this? Believers, living people don't associate themselves with dead things. With the dead things of this world. We don't enjoy or take pleasure in the same things that lost people do. Now listen, I'm not preaching some sort of perfectionism. Don't get ahead of me here now. I know. We still will fall. You will fail. You will sin. I will sin. I understand that. We know that. We're still sinners in need of grace every single day, right? But because God has changed your heart, he gives you a godly sorrow over your sin, right? You hate your sin. You detest it. It grieves you. So because of that new heart, we desire to please him, to honor him, right? So what do you need to cut out? What sins do you need to repent of? John Owen screamed from his pulpit. He said, mortify your sin. Mortify it. So go to God and ask him to cleanse you of your sin and to continue to reveal it to you daily. Remember that apart from the grace of God, you would still be dead. These truths should not boost us up into some sort of holier-than-thou, like, oh, look, look at what I am. No, they should humble us to understand what God has done for us, never forgetting who we were by nature and what we be- deserve because of our sin. Paul says we were children of wrath. That's what we deserve. So believers, when you waver, when you sin, this is my encouragement to you. You remember that not one of God's sheep shall be snatched out of his hand. That's John 6 and John 10. Not one of his sheep shall be lost. That's a promise. That's our assurance, right? In Christ, he is the good shepherd. It is he who draws, he who calls, he who regenerates your dead, cold heart, he who gives a new life to that which was dead, he who justifies, he who sanctifies, and eventually it's he who glorifies in the end. But if there's unbelievers here, perhaps maybe you're not sure of your standing before God, you're not sure where you are before God. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day You need a gracious savior. He's rich in mercy. You respond to the call of the good shepherd. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. He said repent and turn from sin. Believe his gospel. This gospel. That Jesus Christ, God himself, when he did not have to, he condescended to earth in humility. He wrapped himself in flesh. He gave himself as the ultimate perfect sacrifice. After living a perfect life that you and I could absolutely never, ever, ever live. And he died on that cross. And he appeased the wrath of God. And he took the punishment of the sin for all his people. All those who would ever believe on him. And then three days later he rose and he conquered death. And he proved that he was God Almighty. God in the flesh. The great Redeemer. The perfect Savior. And he ascended to heaven, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day he's returning again, and he will judge the living and the dead. He's the Lamb of God, and he's ruling and reigning right now. So if you are far from God, you don't know him. You cry out as the tax collector did in Jesus' parable. The tax collector that beat his chest. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said that man went home justified before God. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for your grace. God, please help us to never forget The gift of salvation. Father we thank you. We love you. Lord please guide us. And sanctify us in your son. Continue to mold us into the person of your son God. In Jesus name. Amen. So I'm going to have John come back. We're going to do a song. You you guys can stand with us and just stretch your legs. If you need to go to the restroom while we sing, that would be fine. And then we'll have Cedric come up and he'll finish our evening out.